Hey, Quinn, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Greg? Very good, very good. Thanks for being here. So this is episode 63 of the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, and I've got Quinn Redeker with me. Quinn spent nearly two decades as an officer with the uh, Ventura Police Department, which is where I live. Uh, we both live in Ventura County. He's got 10 years as a SWAT sniper and many years as a motor officer. Uh, Quinn certified by the Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training as a police motor instructor, an emergency vehicle operation course instructor, a firearms instructor, and a range awesome. master. And uh, some of you may already know Quinn because he's competed over 100 police motorcycle competitions through the U.S., uh, taking top honors in most. Uh, in 2016, I wrote a profile about Quinn for Rider Magazine, and we posted two videos on our YouTube channel of him uh, in a police motor competition in San Francisco in the summer of 2015. And those videos, those two videos have a combined 16.8 million views. So people are definitely very impressed uh, with, with seeing him perform. And so Quinn is currently at uh, the BMW Authority Brand Ambassador for North America. He's also uh, works with Total Control Training. He's an advanced motor school instructor, an advanced riding clinic instructor, uh, adventure bike uh, clinic instructor. He also owns policemotortraining.com, where he provides in-person training and Zoom instruction for motor officers and civilians. And then starting with the September 2023 issue of Rider, he'll have a new skills column called Motor School with Quinn Redeker. So you are a busy guy. Wow, wow. That sounds exciting. I want to meet that guy. He's got to be younger than me, you know? <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing. I, you know, we'll, I want to get to that is that um, you know, you've been riding for a long time, but what you're best known for is your police motor competition riding and so forth. But you came to that pretty late. But let's let's go back a little bit to the beginning. You're a California boy, Southern California. Uh, you started riding at a pretty young age. Is that right? Yeah, I started uh, riding at about nine years old, uh, eight, nine, not nah, nine years old in the San Fernando Valley, Southern California. That's kind of you know, the valley. That's where. But motocross was pretty big then. You know, mid 70s, late 70s, everybody was riding motocross. You know, Marty Smith, Bob Hanna, those guys were, were those names were everywhere. And if you were a young boy in Southern California, at least in the neighborhood I grew up in, if you you were either interested in like, you know, uh, Dogtown, Santa Monica, skateboarding stuff, Tony Alba. Right, uh, right. Or, you know, or you were riding motocross and, you know, Brad Lackey and Jam and Jimmy Weiner. You heard, you heard these names and. Where I lived was the northern part of the San Fernando Valley in Granada Hills. And behind our housing tracks, it was just, you know, thousands of acres and hills and hills and hills. So every day, all the little kids, all the boys would would reconvene after school behind the hills. And you would literally just burn gas till the sun went down every single day. So right on. and it was just it was so it was a combination of, yeah, motorcycles were cool, but it was also a social thing. It was kind of it was what the boys did, you know. We didn't play baseball in a ring. We we rode dirt bikes all every day. So, cool. Well, you must you so you stuck with it and must have ridden recreationally. Did you do some competition as well? Yeah. So I got into um, I got into motocross and and uh, that that was the thing. So uh, races at Indian Dunes and other places in Southern California, riding, racing, and then uh, District Thirty Seven is where we are for desert races. So. Uh, I had a lot of friends that kind of started transitioning from motocross and got into desert. So periodically I would go out and do a heron hounds and, and desert races. And most of that was teen years. Um, you know, so yeah, I rode, I would say between the age of nine to, you know, 16, 17, I probably three days I missed, you know, not, right, not right. on the bike. So, uh, so it was, a, it was a lucky time. I look at kids nowadays that, you know, you get on the bike maybe once a week, Every two weeks, you know, your uncle can finally get the time to take you to a track two hours away. It's not like that. When I grew up, we rode every single day and siphoned gas out of our parents' cars to, you know, <laughs> so we could get our bikes to run. Right, right. So, so uh, you, your uh, career in uh, being a police officer, police motor officer came fairly late. You had a career that was in what, marketing there for a while? Uh, and then yeah, I was in... I was in sales and marketing. Um, so the motocross thing and the motorcycle riding, it, it sort of moved into other types. I got into street stuff and, and track days and I'd go to Keith code track stuff up at Willow Springs. And yeah. I really started getting into trials. I liked that a lot. 
So just varying, varying aspects of motorcycle riding in general, I had street bikes myself, just, you know, just transportation wise as well. Okay. Um, but got into sales and marketing. So yeah, I got into law enforcement uh, at 35. So a little late. Um, I mean, some, most cops get into it in their, you know, early mid twenties and uh, have, have a long career. So, but I didn't get into it for motorcycles, particularly that kind of was a, serendipitous accident to be honest with you i got into it for for some other aspects that resonated for me and that's why i became a cop um the the motorcycle thing was just sort of a, a happy accident you know so you were a police officer for a few years before you ever were on a, a motorcycle is that correct yeah yeah i was a cop for maybe two and a half three years something like that and uh, one of the uh, motor officer uh, sergeants at the time just said, Hey, I would, I would back him up every morning on a slow Saturday, you know, and, yeah. or, and he said, Hey, you know, I heard you ride motorcycles or you, you're kind of familiar with them. And I guess the word got around. And so he said, Hey, you should put in. So I, I thought, well, I never even thought about it, you know, right. and I didn't know any, I didn't even know there was this thing called police competitions. I, I, but I put in anyways, I thought, ah, you know, it could be fun. Ventura, if you guys aren't familiar with Ventura, it's uh, a little south of Santa Barbara, a little north of Malibu. It's on the coast. It's a little beach town. Um, very, very cool. So I'd see the motor cops and they're sitting there, you know, right there at the boardwalk. And it, it looks like, a you know, in Southern California weather. So right, it's, right. Like, you know, it's, it's um, world class, you know, million dollar views while you're rolling around on a motorcycle getting paid. So you really, you do the math. It's not that hard to come to that kind of that intersection. Right, right. So, uh, so yeah, I, I put in and funny enough, I, they weren't going to give it to me except, um, because one of the things with police work, if you, if you put in for a spot yeah, and you don't get it, they really want to see how you manage not getting it. Like, are you going to get angry? Are you going to start saying bad things about the department? Are you, are you going to quit or are you going to put in next time? Well, this was my first time putting in and there were a few other guys that had put in sort of previously. So that they, they gave them a little bit more stock because they had invested and tried and, and I hadn't, um, but again, serendipitously, it was on a Thursday that the actual uh, interview took place. Motor school, which is not easy, and the failure rate's really high, was the following Monday. Typically, an agency will give you what's called a pre-academy where the motor officers will go out and they'll work with you for, say, a week or two to just kind of get your mind working around the type of riding that you do as a, as a motor cop before they send you to motor school, or for sure you'll fail. But in this case, they didn't have a lot of time. So they thought, well, Quinn seems like he's got the most experience. We think maybe his probability of success will be greater than the other two. So they're like, all right, congratulations. This was like <laughs> a Friday. They said, congratulations. Go over to this motor officer's house and you're going to sift through. weekend course on one of those kz 1000s and uh yeah it was uh it was an experience for sure so yeah. you know I, I will just say briefly the kz 1000 antiquated old but you know what when you're on it you're you're it's like you're on a time machine and there's something kind of cool about it <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah. you know besides that you you know you I, I i wear the tan gloves so i was uh you know i was john baker when i was rolling around on the kz right on uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I have there's something in my heart for those bikes. I love them, even though they're they're big, angry rattle traps, but they're they're cool. They are police bikes. So, so uh, when you were uh, went through training, uh, you're a motor officer there in Ventura. What was the bike that you would ride on patrol? So the first bike that we got, we were a BMW agency. The way it works in Southern California for most agencies, CHP is the big dog. Yeah. So they usually negotiate great contracts. And then whatever that deal is that they get, um, county agencies like us are able to piggyback our orders. So basically, you get sort of the um, the benefit of the you know the, the the scale of their purchasing power. Right. And so whatever they're on, more or less we're on. And they were on Beamers at the time. Eleven fifties is is uh, no, they were on twelve hundreds. But I was the new guy, so I I got the hand me down. I got an old eleven fifty <laughs> BMW, and. Um, Obviously, it was my first police bike. I loved it, but it was it was beat up. I don't know, fifty thousand, sixty thousand miles. But yeah, that was my first bike. And after maybe six months or a year, I graduated. They gave me one of the newer twelve hundreds in the fleet, which was nice, okay. much faster, handled better. 
Yeah. Suspension's better. I mean, everything's better, but BMWs by and large. Okay. Um, yeah. We had a little window of time where the Kawasaki Concourse 14 came into play and it was, uh, I won't go into all the aspects of the deal, but um, we got a couple Kawasaki Concourses. So I did that, rode those for a while, did a few competitions on those. Very, very big, fast, angry bikes. Yeah. But I think collectively they were a foot wider front wow. yeah. and back than a BMW yeah. and heavier. And they had a lot of problems with them. The batteries would die on stop. So we, we, we went back to the BMW. Yeah, thinking of the police bikes I've seen in Southern California, uh, definitely the BMWs are most predominant. I see some CHP uh, officers on um, Harleys. Seen the years ago, there were the Honda ST 1300s. I've seen the Concorde 14. Having ridden most of these bikes, I know a Concorde 14 is very fast and comfortable, but it does not have steering nearly as light as an RT, you know, a big, you know, BMW R1200 or R1250 RT. Um, yeah, they're just a different design, you know, different engine configuration, things like that. So, yeah. There was a window of time. So when I started doing motor competitions, they would allow you to compete in as many classes as you wanted. So if you brought a Harley and a Beamer, if you wanted to pay for both classes, you could. So the when I started in, in 09 is about when I started going to competitions for police. The fastest guys were in Northern California. And of those fast guys in Northern California, they were all on Honda ST1300s. So I went ahead because, you know, now I'm a racer. I love competing. So I bought my, my own personal ST1300 from a, um, a emergency light upfitting company in the Midwest. So that I would trailer that up. So I've spent a lot of time training and riding the ST1300, which while it's an antiquated platform, it's, I still think it's for its, for its year, for its time. It's a great bike. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a lot of readers, uh, you know, who are big fans of, uh, you know, uh, the ST1100, ST1300. ST a lot of people really wish that Honda would come back with a a version of that. As a, it's just a super smooth as a V4 engine, uh, great torque, uh, very comfortable sport touring bike, uh, yeah. and that a lot of people really wish that Honda still offered that because there's really no sport touring Honda in, in the same way. I mean, it's pretty much the Goldwing and that's quite a bit bigger and more expensive and more complicated than a lot of people want. But uh, yeah, and, and while the ST was heavier than the Beamer, it was lower center of gravity. And right. the main thing that I liked about it, really two things. One, it was a wet clutch versus the yeah. BMW, which was dry. So you had to be careful with the Beamer. If you didn't finesse it, you could fry the clutch. Um, and the, the Honda, you could just, I mean, it was a, just a war horse. I could just, yeah. it didn't matter what I did. The bike was like, all right, we'll deal with this idiot on top of the bike. And so, uh, first gear was nice and tight and low. And the chassis was, was less upset when I would throw the bike around a lot. Whereas again, the, the older Beamers were a little more like 76 Cadillac Eldorados when you, you know, <laughs> which, which was yeah. nice. Right. The, right. Now the new Beamers. They are wet clutch, they have a low first gear, and they have fully electronic suspension. So the the Beamers that I ride and compete on today are, I mean, world, they're UFOs compared yeah. to what we were on before. Yeah. So know. tell us about what it was like getting into uh, the competitions. Uh, so, I mean, clearly you you have had the training as a police motor officer, but you bring to this, you know, a, a very diverse and long range of experience with, you know, street riding, motocross, trials, which, I mean, trials, if anybody, I've never ridden trials myself, but to see what uh, trials riders do the ability to the the level of clutch and, and throttle control uh, the balance and so forth which I can imagine those are the guys that do really well in all the hard enduros the crazy Erzberg rodeos and Romaniacs and stuff uh, the guys that are have trials backgrounds seem to do really well so I would think the super tight first gear configurations of these courses and if nobody's actually ever seen one of these I mean, you know, you can think, okay, they're going through some cones in a parking lot, but the, how close together these cones are that you guys go through in these competitions is is really pretty remarkable to even be able to ride through there and not knock a bunch of cones over because you get penalized if you knock over cones. And then of course there's a stopwatch, but, but that, um, you know, what you guys are able to do with a level of control as well as speed because you're on the clock. But what was it like to get into doing these competitions? Well, for me, um, so I finished motor school and uh, and I did well. And by doing well, I mean, the main thing with police riding, I won't get into all the hows and whys, but the, the, the trickiest aspect of it, really the one fundamental that's different than any other type of riding is that you have this big, heavy motorcycle. Now think about what your motorcycle does in first gear. 
it'll probably do 40 miles an hour, depending yeah. on what you're right. on. It. You could maybe faster, right. but 30, 40 miles an hour. Well, I'm asking you now to take this motorcycle in first gear and make a U-turn in 17, 16, 17 foot circle, which is very, very tight. Right. The only way you're going to do that. So one of two things, if you ride it traditionally, you're either going to have the clutch out and you're going to need to give it enough throttle so you're not stalling it, right? Right, right. Well, the problem is now you're going, say, 12 miles an hour. Well, that's way too fast to execute a 16-foot circle because you need to be leaned over, full lock steering. Well, so, okay, so now I'm going too fast in first gear. Well, how do I compensate for that? Well, you slip the clutch. That's the whole thing is that we ride the motorcycle in the tight sections where we're in the gray area. The clutch isn't fully engaged. It's not fully disengaged. You have some throttle because we need power, but we're really, the, the, the different thing you need to wrap your brain around as a motor competitor is your, the motorcycle lives and dies with the clutch, not the throttle. We kind of set and forget the throttle. And we're right. living in this friction zone, more or less, depending right. on how tight the section is. So that's once you get your mind wrapped around that idea, whatever skills you brought to the table prior, whatever your background is, you can apply a lot of those things. For, for example, they also teach in motor school, you do not cover the front brake. When you want to apply front brake, you take your fingers off the throttle four finger brakes, smooth, controlled, modulating the front brake. When you're done with your braking, you let off. Well, right. in my background in, in racing, I'm a big trail breaker. I overlap my controls. Yep. Well, so my index finger rests and lives and covers the front brake all the time, not just because of the reaction time. Yes, it speeds up my reaction time, but it's just a place where, you know, a lot of racers, uh, they'll overlap those controls. I'll be on the brakes and on the throttle at the same time. You can't do that if you're not covering the front brake. Right. So that's one of those things that once I went through motor school and now these motor competitions come up, I'm starting to explore all these other things that I already naturally sort of did from other areas of motorcycle riding. The trials, as an example, the main thing with trials is, and you touched on it, great clutch control, throttle control, balance. And the thing that's interesting about balance is it's not so much, hey, my balance is better. Like, yes, I practice on a slack line and all that, and my balance is pretty good. But being good at balance really means is when you're on a motorcycle, you're more conscious of your personal body weight and where it's transferring around on the bike. So that's kind of the weird thing. It's just your, your, your senses are um, kind of heightened with where my body is positioned. And what you start to notice over time is, how that impacts the motorcycle in some of these slow tight sections. And really over, over the time of these competitions, I just started, I, I was like, first of all, I'm a racer. I want to win. Right. Right. So, and, uh, and then, so, well, how do you win? Well, you practice. And then how do you practice? Well, you go to these things and you start seeing people do things. And if you're paying attention and you put your ego in, in a glove box somewhere, you'll start picking up on stuff. So that, that was kind of what I did. And I, man, I just, I just loved it. So Growing up riding dirt bikes, imagine if you can still race like you did when you were 10, right? Get right paid, right. and but you're an adult doing a job. Like, right. holy mackerel, is, it, is this real? <laughs> so, so. Well, I mean, so you, you came to this, but when I when I spoke with you a few years ago when I did the profile for rider, uh, what really impressed me is that your level of dedication to training. Like it wasn't just okay, I'm a police motor officer and I'm gonna go about my daily you know, routine as far as what, what you have to do while you're on patrol. But, and then you, you spend a lot of time in your off hours on weekends and evenings, whatever, oh, yeah. doing rigorous training. And, and so what are the, can you just walk us through what a couple of these exercises are that it's sort of like, if you think about basketball players, they shoot in endless free throws. They do various other things that they just want it to become where it's almost automatic. What sort yeah. of uh, maneuvers or whatever would you do over and over again to where it was, it was just basically wet wire. So, so two things with that, um, just to give you an idea of a, of a typical schedule of training. So I worked on the motorcycle four days a week, 10 hours a day. So the first thing that I, I did was, um, I would write tickets throughout my city and depending on where I was, I had little areas that I would go practice. I would write a ticket, go practice, write a ticket, go practice. And throughout the day. And when I say go practice, probably spend 10 minutes in those impromptu practice sessions throughout the city, 
uh, and throughout the, the days and weeks that I would ride, that practice looked like primarily figure eights. Okay. And when I say figure eights, to greater and lesser degrees, meaning that sometimes I'm wrapped out in first gear and I'm sort of like trail breaking in, making a U-turn and going back. I always like figure eights because they force you to get good at both directions. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a no brainer. You can do them anywhere. Some are nice and tight, full lock, full lock. And what I would concentrate on kind of my, um, my, this end point that I'm trying to reach uh, Nirvana, if you, if you could call it is my idea was when I'm accelerating and then I'm braking, then I'm accelerating again. And we're doing that ad nauseum. Right. Can I, get on the throttle and off the brakes so smoothly and then back on the brakes and off the throttle so seamlessly that I can't feel exactly where that transition fully takes yeah. effect. Yeah. So that was, and that took my body position, trying to be really, really sensitive. I could, I mean, there were times when I would literally ride with my eyes closed and try to really be sensitive. And I was explaining this to somebody and, and maybe, maybe your listeners have done this. If they haven't, I want them to try it. If you're in your car, you're pulling up to a light. If you've ever done this or not. So there are people, sometimes you're in the passenger seat, they pull up to the light and they just stop aggressively and the car kind of stops and then kind of falls backwards a little bit. Yep. It's like, good God, what was that? Or some people <laughs> that stop and it's a nice smooth stop. Right. So here's, here's the challenge. And maybe you've done this. Try and stop at the light so smoothly that you don't actually feel the car stop at all, like at all. So in that same way that you're hypersensitive to slow, 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 less, 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 less brake, and then I don't even feel the car stop. That's what I would do with accelerating, transitioning onto the brakes, turning around the, the uh, figure eight, slowly starting to apply power and transitioning back onto the throttle. So that's what I would do throughout the week, those types of things. On the weekends, so at, at motor competitions, sometimes they'll lay out um, cone patterns that are that are custom. Like maybe they want to spell something for their specific event. <laughs> but, but nine out of 10 times, there are standardized patterns that agencies will use. And one of the nice things with the standardized patterns is because it'll give motor officers that are practicing and training for the event uh, you know, specifics about, Hey, I'm going to work on this pattern and this and this, because these are the ones that are going to be at the event. Right. So what I did was uh, in our city here in Ventura, we had a police and fire training facility. And at that facility it's gated, it's locked. Right. Uh, there's, you know, there's bathrooms, but there's also hundreds of cones. So I spray painted all those patterns that I'd say 10 or 12 and I would make a track out of them. I would connect them all and I would just run that track and race around it as fast as I could. Right. One of the challenges, as you mentioned earlier, you, you can get penalties if you rub a cone. You touch that cone. Well, sometimes if you're by yourself, you don't know if you touched it. So I put tennis balls on the top of every single cone. So then I could see if I hit anything. Ah, yeah. And then once I had all the markings and I knew what the, 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 the actual dimensions were, I would slowly over time pull them in tighter and tighter and tighter so that they were much, much harder than anywhere else I was going to run into. Right, right, right. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you're talking about uh, doing, you know, short exercises throughout the day when you're on patrol. I mean, it's a way to, because a lot of times, I mean, you know, you probably are, are parked more than anything over the course of a 10 hour shift. You're sort of, you know, maybe you're, you know, you're, you're waiting for something, you're observing an intersection, at, at whatever it may be, but that, you know, you're not, you're not also in pursuit, you know, for much of a 10 hour shift. So those exercises probably keep you, keep you from getting complacent. They kind of, just kind of keep you sharp, keep you warmed up, keep you ready. Um, but then, it, and like you said, some of these cone patterns, I remember the competition I saw you compete in, in San Francisco, you know, there's ones where it's kind of a, you enter a box and you kind of got to go into each, and each of the boxes is almost like a, a, a square and you work through these. And then there's these uh, almost like, um, almost like a spiral patterns and things. And, and I was just amazed at how not only tight, because you're talking about cones, but then they have the much taller. Um, uh, delineators, those are called. What's it called? They're called delineators. They're delineators. About it's basically like a, a, a fluorescent orange post yeah. on, a, on a stand. But those, 
And so, you know, up high, all most of these bikes have saddlebags on them. They're full kitted out. So there's thing, all kinds of things that you can bang into uh, cones or delineators. So, um, yeah, that's it's impressive that, like you said, the only way you'll get good at that stuff is if you do it re repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. So yeah, yeah, and 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 all the different cool little paths of travel that they'll set up, you kind of want to approach them differently. Like some of them, like you mentioned, see, there'll be it's called a snowman, and it's three circles that connect with each other. And the first one's bigger, the middle one's smaller, the last one's even tighter. And then you, you, you'll come out of things like that and the cones will be, maybe the cones are so low that I'll have to stand up on the pegs and look over the windscreen so I don't hit anything. So I can see where I'm <laughs> Right, right, sure. So there's, yeah. there's all kinds of weird, or, or ones where it'll be, it'll be uh, circles and you're going, you're going in a row of cones. It's like, so like imagine going around a, a cul-de-sac and it's a three foot wide, just solid row of cones. If you go too fast, you start leaning over so much that you're going to rub stuff. So then I'd start trying to kind of road race it and put my center line of my weight on the inside to keep the bike straight up so I don't hit stuff. So you start to learn all these little like, hey, I think, because the question is, how can I go as fast as possible and not hit anything, right? And yeah, be consistent yeah. with it, so... Well, yeah, that's I, like I said, I've never I've never attempted any of it. I know there's some civilian training for some of the police motor type things. I know the class school out at uh, that Reg Pridmore does. He does a motor officer uh, authority training. I think it's called MOOC and um, several other of the schools do it. Um, I, and I understand it's it's one of those things, especially if you are doing it for the first time. And the, the one I did was called Ride Like a Pro. It was a weekend course or maybe it's just a day long course. And they had uh, some of the KZ uh, 1000s and. I, I don't know how many times I dropped that bike. And that's the thing. If you're, if you're trying, it's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of how often you're going to drop the bike and it can be pretty demoralizing. You're having to pick it up and so forth. So obviously that's what you're, you're trying to avoid any kind of dab or anything like that, but also touching cones and, and any of that. So, so yeah. you did this for a number of years. Like I said, you've competed in uh, well over a hundred of these competitions. I know that when you and I uh, were, uh, when I did the interview with you, you were had sort of rotated out of being an active police motor officer and you i think were kind of you were just dabbling in some of the competition you weren't doing them as regularly as you were at the time uh, yeah so. actually when we went up to san francisco uh, for that i don't think i had done a competition for four years wow yeah um, so i was still on the bike periodically uh, i got yeah so i promoted and i transitioned out of the motor unit and then i was a supervisor for our dispatch center but i was still our our instructor. So okay. they would pull me out and I would put people through a motor school and, you know, I was still actively riding as a motorcycle rider uh, regularly. So, um, but, but a lot of the stuff I'm, as I'm finding now kind of where, where I'm at now, but when you don't do something for a while, you don't necessarily lose the speed, you lose the consistency. Okay. Um, you know, so when we, when we went up to San Francisco, it's a new bike, new platform. I was probably a tick slower than I would be, but but it's the consistency I think that you lose that that repeatability is the you know you you might get lucky you might not right right, right. so I have a question so uh, that was when the R twelve fifty RT had just come out so that was the um, let's see that was twenty sixteen so I guess it was right when they came maybe not the twelve fifty but it was when they came out with the water boxer at least they did on the GS in twenty thirteen so it must have been a couple of years after that was the first time they had the the partially liquid cooled uh, bike. That's when they went to a, is that when they went to a wet clutch? Yep. Uh, yep. For, for the yep. BMW. And then you're also talking about the electronic suspension. I don't know if they, did they have the, I don't know if they had the cornering ABS. How does this work for you uh, in terms of a, an RTP? So a police version of the RT or anything, is anything modified with traction control, electronics, anything like that? Or do you do any of that for competitions? So, um, so the first, if the first question is what what's fundamentally different between an RT and an RTP? Yeah, not a lot, not a lot okay. at all. Um, the you know the bags are different, uh, but as far as the electronics package, the power package, the suspension, typically no, it's it's virtually identical. Okay. Um, speaking of the brand new model um, that exists today, there are some aspects of the uh, the dynamic traction control. So dynamic traction control. Um, without getting overly technical, it has a lean angle sensor. As you 
with the idea that if you're leaning over really, really far and you want to apply, you know, a, a fistful of throttle, it's going to do some math and say, well, let's see, do we really want to give this guy that much throttle with right. the bike this far leaned over? So it will mute your power. So in the civilian model, that's that's a thing. It's in it's in the package. For the law enforcement type of style riding that we do, the challenge with that is we, as I had mentioned earlier, we we use the clutch to modulate power and the throttle is kind of a set it or forget it. And we're leaned over a lot. We do a lot of heavy counterbalance. So what we did find or what I did find not uh, when I kind of jumped back into this about a year ago was that the dynamic traction control would kill the power when the bike was cranked over. And that's Thanks. just not a pattern from a competition standpoint, but even just making a fast U-turn. So that was something that had to be rectified. So there's been a few, a few adjustments between the RT and the RTP, but like 99 out of 100 people would never even reach what I just mentioned. They wouldn't. Right. Know, right. They wouldn't know. But right. dimensions, suspension, all that. If you, you know, it, it's it's the same. It's the yeah. same bike by and large. Yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about how. So you you were active in the police uh, motor competitions for years. Uh, active with the Ventura Police Department for years. But then you've rotated out of there, and you now have. Uh, you're now the BMW Authority brand ambassador for North America. Uh, you're yeah. a trainer uh, with uh, Total Control. You're an instructor. Uh, you have your own uh, private training program. So tell us a little bit about what your new roles uh, are, because you have several, and and sure. you're, you're basically and you're an instructor and and brand representative. So what's what's that like? Yeah. So um, the uh, so first of all, just my my own gig, PoliceMotorTraining.com. That was really out of uh, demand for motor officers around the country over the last five years, where um, I would either fly out somewhere while I was still I was in detectives, but I just had a lot of friends in the motor world that said, hey, Quinn, you know, I want to go win this event. I'm training for it. Help me out. And I I mean, I'm happy to help you carry the water up the hill. That's exciting. If I can contribute. (laughs) Right. and make you better and we right. then, then we both celebrate your victory and and i get to i get to uh to jump up and down too and say hey i, I was part of that you know right right like, awesome. i guess like a, a parent right when they're yeah yeah on stage and wins the speech <laughs> competition right so so um so i've been doing that and that's continued and that that kind of um turned into making some training videos and and um so if you go on to police motor training.com you'll see you'll see all that um that that came and has continued since I uh, was still an officer. But when I retired, I cycled out of being a police officer uh, about a year ago. And um, I was approached by BMW North America. And they asked me if I would be interested in being the brand ambassador. So we had a conversation. They were very, very cool. And um, what that looked like, my whole thing was I, I still do these videos and still do this right. training. So I said, well, what would it entail? And what it entails is I travel around the country for BMW. I do police motor competitions. So that's one component. The second thing is I'll do, I'll do demonstrations and trainings. Uh, and then I will facilitate agencies that might be interested in looking at the new BMW platform. So I'll fly out, I'll show them the bike, help them kind of with the whys and hows that it works and then what it does which is a lot of fun because I get to, I get to meet a, a bunch of salty old motor cops and we get to hang right. out and, and, um, and a lot of them I, I'm friends with. So that's pretty cool. And then I go to trade shows as well. Sure. Um, and um, so what BMW also did for me that I really appreciate and what I had requested was that uh, I still, that I get a police motorcycle at my house because I do a lot of training and I said, Hey, I would like a platform to be able to do that. And they said, no problem at all. Because again, if I'm going to do a motor competition, I need to practice. And so I ride very regularly so that I'm, I'm up to speed. So, so that's my job with um, my role with BMW. And then Lee Parks owns Total Control. Uh, Lee Parks, uh, I met back in 2010 when I called, uh, I called him. I didn't even know him, knew nothing. I just had these gloves, these yeah. Lee Parks design deer tour gloves. And I, uh, I called him. I was, teaching a motor school and I'm like, Hey, um, yeah, I just need to tell somebody because I almost feel guilty. These are the most comfortable, softest, supplest gloves. And I was sure they'd last about five minutes. Yeah. And, um, I was, I was already complaining about them that, ah, these things are going to shred. And I said, after about a month of me beating the snot out of them, they've held up perfectly. And I just, whoever makes them, man, I just want to thank them and, and apologize <laughs> for my bad, my, my, my initially bad vibes about them. Yeah. And it was Lee. And so, Lee uh, 
he he's like, well, no, I, I make, I'm Lee Parks. I make the gloves. And he told me a little bit about how he got into making gloves. And we, you know, he's a motorcycle guy. We're the same age. We both grew up riding dirt bikes. Uh, and so we probably talked for three hours. Wow. And um, just had a great, you know, I was, was just yeah. like me talking to one of my dirt bike buddies. Yeah. And uh, so fast forward, you know, 12 years later, we got to talking and he said, look, man, you know, everything that you're doing would support what I'm doing with total control. We're right. in the process of creating an advanced motor school just for motor officers. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, my background sales and marketing, he said, Hey, you know, you could help contribute to building all the things that we're doing. And as right. a, you know, we have an adventure bike clinic, you could contribute to all these things as a rider. Right. Um, and he and I just, we already, again, we, we, we vibed very well for all over these years. So I was like, wow, okay, this is kind of a perfect storm. And the nice thing is, between BMW and Total Control, they both kind of feed on each other. If right. I'm at a motor competition with BMW, I'm right. talking about Lee Park's gloves. I'm talking about our right. advanced motor clinic. So right. it, it's a it's nice in that way. So yeah, yeah I mean Lee, Lee Parks is one of those people who's truly a, a force of nature. I mean, I first knew of him when he was uh, the editor of Motorcycle Consumer News. But you know, he started his Total Control clinic. He's got his Total Control book. Uh, he does training all over the country. You're one of inst instructors for for various types of training. Um, you know, several years ago, he uh, basically took over the California motorcycle safety program. So basically, uh, you know, the 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 motorcycle training for you know basic riding type training for the entire state of California. He's done that for several other states. Um, that guy is just you know he's he's truly one of those energizer bunny visionary type people who is is a very active and um you know committed member of you know the motorcycle community so to be involved with him is great you know that's that's awesome to do yeah. his training his uh his training is something that we've got a couple of editors on our staff that uh he's got an open invitation for them love to get them into some training here pretty soon uh so that's that's awesome yeah great no that's really cool and uh just one last thing that that i always so with this police motor competitions and things that i do there's yeah. two really there's two sides to all of it one is the physical side of technique and skill and showing up and working but the other side is the mental thing how do you approach it how do you think about it and that's one of those things that i've been really impressed with learning because i again i've done a lot of different motorcycle training schools camps etc but one of the things i loved about lee's programs is that he really delves into fear he delves into expectations he delves into how you think about what it is that you're doing and i think that's just such a huge for me, anyways, that resonated significantly because that's just, just such a big part of the overall package. You know, right. a lot of people approach stuff saying, I want to be better. I want to be faster. Right. And in my personal training with guys, I say, look, speed is a byproduct of doing all these other things right. And part of doing these things right is how you think about it and how you approach them. Don't right. worry about speed, you know. Right. Right. I want to be rich. Well, right. <laughs> let, let's get into the, you know, yeah. into the all the little components of it and, right. and we'll see if the money doesn't right. follow so right. that's been really fun for me um you know with lee and so we were uh, i may be jumping ahead but we uh, for the last week i've been out with him for our uh we he has an advanced track clinic so it's an advanced riding clinic but it's a really cool thing where it's a, it's not a track day but you're actually able to go out on a road racing track with advanced riding coaches with total control right. and go around and start working on some of these techniques that the class teaches. For me, though, it's been great because, uh, you know, Lee is a racer. He's a road yeah. racer. He's a national champion. And um, I'm not, I mean, I, I've done some track stuff, but when somebody's in front of me, I want to keep up with them or pass them. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, it's been so much fun uh, with with him. And he, because he knows what's going on in my helmet. Every racer yeah. knows you go by anyone who is like, I'm, I'm racing and you pass, right. you know, they're going, Oh no, 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 no. I'm going to get you yeah. back. Yeah. So yeah. he, he toys with me when we're at these clinics, yeah. you know, taps his rear fender, you know, stay on me. Your, 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 right. you know, your turn points are wrong. Right. And this and that. So, um, he's he did, he races a dirt track and he's got a, um, a supermoto bike. It's a Husky supermoto. And I wrote it and I'm like, yep. I'm getting a super motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I left there somehow, you know, I went to this clinic and now I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be $12,000 in the hole here in a minute. Right. 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 Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, so um, this actually is a good lead to, so, you know, like I said, I've always, I've been impressed with, uh, you know, I first 
learned about you through uh, seeing some photos and videos, and then you and I got to know each other. We, we had some conversations as I was putting together this profile, saw you in competition, and then we kind of lost touch a little bit, uh, but then we reconnected uh, now that you're working with, with Total Control and you've got your own training. And so uh, you will be starting with the September issue of Rider have a new column. It's called Motor School with Quinn Redeker. And basically, you've got a lot of knowledge and experience and uh, particularly some of this mental aspects of motorcycling, um, whether it's with your trials riding or your law enforcement experience, uh, your experience in, uh, in motor uh, competitions, uh, your experience as an instructor can try and translate that. You, you actually you are very good at, at putting that into words. And so we've got a series of articles we'll be rolling out. And um, so you'll be basically sort of sharing your knowledge with with the readers of Rider Magazine. So can you kind of give us a little bit of a preview of what we can expect in this new column? Absolutely. Um, the first thing, uh, just from an underlying sort of philosophical standpoint, um, and I, I don't want to get on a you know uh, high horse about it, but in my experience, in my life, whatever it was, um, I've been a drummer since I was a little kid, whether it's music or whatever, I go to a, an instructor, and one of the things that I've found is that many times I go to this instructor, this coach, this clinic, and I leave feeling a lot worse than when I got there. <laughs> and while my skill set might be 2% better than it was when I walked in the door, my knowledge about what I don't know is 98% more. So <laughs> I end up going, wow, I just spent 500 bucks for this clinic. And I feel miserable and yeah. I feel like I need to quit my job, sell my stuff, buy a plot of land and start pounding laps till the sun goes down. Like, <laughs> like there's some destination I need right. to reach, but I haven't. Right. So the one thing I, for me anyways, um, I, I think that people need to pump the brakes for a second and understand that all of this is optional. First of all, you want to be faster. Great. You want to be better, great. But if you're not enjoying the journey of it, right. if you feel like by the more you train and the more you practice, the more you're behind the eight ball, all is lost because right. there is no finish line. Right. You know, I tell these guys, they're like, man, I need to work harder on this. And I go, well, hold on a second. We all need to work. You know, we're all going down the river of life, man. Right. Like, right, right. So, so just, just enjoy it. You will get better and that's okay. There's no best there's no destination. It never ends. I'm still, you know, the guy that's teaching you, Quinn Redeker, I'm out there doing my figure eights, trying to find that Zen place, that transitional thing. So I think I want my articles. My goal is, regardless of what I'm showing you, regardless of what tip, trick, experience I'm covering, I want you to take it from that vantage point of, hey, this is an option. This is a positive. And wherever I sit on that line of progress, we'll move the needle. And that's, right. that's all we want to accomplish. So some of these things in motors, police motors, police officer, it's unique and different as a motorcycle rider. Sure. And just to give you an example, when I, when I ride a motorcycle on the street as just a civilian guy, I'm in my little safety bubble, paying attention to what's going on in front of me. When I'm a, when I'm a motor cop, I'm listening to the police radio is somebody in a fight? Is there a pursuit? Is there a robbery? So you're hearing that throughout your whole city. You're listening to dispatch. Now you're looking around. You got to find a violation. So your head's on a swivel. Now you're trying to find the violation. You see something. How are you going to affect it in a positive way? Now that I'm now I got to speed through traffic. I got to be careful, safe. It's it's a real sketchy environment as a motorcyclist. Right. Right. Then as soon as I make that traffic stop, where am I going to pull them over? Cover concealment. Now I'm tactical guy now i got to think about a gunfight and there's and, and the thing is is you you might think well a gunfight like really well actually yeah really you know we we watch videos there's a there was an officer in hawaii making a traffic stop a guy came out with an ar-15 and started throwing rounds into his motorcycle so if if it can you got to think if it can happen it will happen and you need to plan for it right, right. so those are two different worlds so as a civilian rider, though, it's changed the way that, for example, when I'm pulling up to a stop and I'm going to put the kickstand down, what's the surface appraisal look like? Because why? Well, my police bike, when I put the kickstand down, it's falling over. Right. Um, and that's a problem, right? Right, right. So there's, so there's a silly sort of little, um, hey, maybe you should think about that or maybe you don't do this. And, and, it, and it's sort of lessons learned between me and all my motor buddies around the country 
that have um, you know been self-effacing enough to give me a, a nice big bucket of uh, tips. So just things like that. Then there's technique related things about making you a better slower speed or street speed rider. Things that I practice, things that I work on. And just all of it is just stuff that I've used. And yes, my background's varied, but all of those things wrapped up into police motor guy. These are some ideas that don't require you necessarily to go spend nine weeks in South Africa at the special training camp, right? Uh, you know, and quit your job and lose your wife. So, well, I mean, it makes sense because I mean, I've I've been fortunate enough to do training on racetracks. I've done you know California Superbike School and Class School, and I've done Yamaha Champions Riding School. I've done Moto Ventures dirt bike training. I've done uh, adventure bike training with Jimmy Lewis. I know for some people they may feel that well, I don't ride dirt bikes, so dirt bike training doesn't seem like something that would be applicable to me because I'm a street guy. Uh, they may think, oh, you know, going to Danny Walker Super Camp dirt track training, like, oh, well, I'm a street rider. Why would that ever help? But the thing is, every every type of training has applicability to any kind of riding you do, whether it's throttle control, it's uh, awareness. But from a, from the, the techniques you're talking about, you ride a, a BMW RT P. It's basically very similar to the civilian model. Most of all the riding that, that police motor officers do is on, on pavement, typically. I mean, you, maybe you would leave the pavement if you had to. But so I think it's going to be a lot more relatable to people. It's also you know, when you're talking about slow speed maneuvers, everybody's familiar with having to maneuver motorcycles around parking lots, gas stations. You know, some people dread U-turns. I mean, that's the most basic thing that is ca we're called upon to do. So, yeah, getting in some leathers and going on a racetrack. Some people are like, you know, that's just not me. That's not the kind of training I want to do or. Maybe it's very expensive, but that you can distill a, a wide variety of experience and training. You said, I know that you said that you've worked with not only Lee Parks, but with Keith Code, um, you know, uh, Gary LaPlante, a lot of these other folks that are, you know, really iconic uh, people in the in motorcycle training is that you can distill a lot of that you, from your own experience and into some concepts and things that people would find useful. And I would think and even in a single article, if there's one piece of information that a reader can take away and it just sort of sticks with them and they think, OK, let me just sort of think about this a little bit differently. And that's something I know in your introductory article, you talk about, hey, if I can just get you to start thinking about things a little bit differently, that's a win because you yeah. want to be as aware of your situation. And that's where you're talking about in, in, in a patrol situation. You've got to be head on a swivel, situationally aware of what could happen. And frankly, most motorcycle accidents, statistically speaking, are preventable. There are people that, you know, yes, there's the, you know, the situation where somebody just comes out of the blue and T-bone somebody. But a lot of times they're single bike accidents. They're out on a road. They misread a, a, their speed going into a corner, the, the conditions or something. So if you can be a smarter rider, then frankly, I've, I've the, from the experience I've had not only riding lots of different bikes and a lot of different environments, but also the training is that I enjoy riding more because it's it's become more comfortable. I'm let I have fewer of the oh shit moments and the the fear yeah. moments. It's like, but I'm also stay pretty engaged. I don't get too lazy because when you get complacent, that's when something can rear up and kind of bite you. So, uh, so again, I'm, I really appreciate yeah. that you're willing to share a lot of your experience and knowledge with with the readers. I look forward to you know the feedback we get from them because I know you want it to be a dialogue as much as possible. If people have questions, they have suggestions, they have concerns then maybe you can address that in a future, future article. I'm, oh, abs absolutely. And, and, and that, that I am excited about connecting with the readers and yeah. hearing about, Hey, well, what about this? Or why would you do that? You know, I, I'm happy to, to uh, either defend or not defend my point. You know, I, I have a rule that um, whoever, you know, whoever has the best lap time, they can be, yeah. the, they can be the coach. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. We, right. I don't mind trading hands, you know, and, and hand, handing the baton to somebody else, if they're willing to teach me something, well, that's a win, right? Right, right, exactly. Well, I just want to say one thing. I know uh, we're, we've been going for for nearly an hour. And so um, I, when you and I met for lunch one time, when uh, you live in, in Camarillo and I was, uh, our office used to be in Camarillo, and you and I met for lunch near our office, and you showed up to lunch on a unicycle, which I was like really surprised by. But that was something that you had said to me that I was like, wow, that seems like some, you know, challenging thing to ride. He said, but you use it as a training tool because in terms of it helps you with balance, just like you talked about using a slack line. And again, those are things that people might not think about. People may or may not want to hop on a unicycle, but there are things that you can do off the bike as well. I mean, it can be something as simple as fitness. 
um, riding a bicycle, riding a mountain bike, doing some of those things. There's a lot of different things that can help you be a better rider. And so, uh, and not just better, but just to, again, to me, I think the more that you understand the dynamics of motorcycles and being able to read the conditions and so forth is it becomes more enjoyable. You know, it, it just becomes, you're, you're just, you're not it. Cause there's the kind of the adage that a lot of people, let's say somebody says, Oh, I've been riding for 20 years. Well, a lot of those people don't necessarily have 20 years of riding experience. They have one year of riding experience. They've, they've repeated 20 times that they sort of get up to a certain level of competency and then they just sort of stay there. And Hey, if that's what people want to do, that's fine. But a certain level of sort of stasis or status quo can actually make people probably over time less good as rider because they get a little bit lazy. They get, and then, then that's when you get into some situations in traffic where we've got a lot of distracted drivers now and so forth is that you really want to be able to be able to control your own safety and, and, and reduce your own risk as much as possible. Well, to, to a few of those points, first of all, I, I feel like at the end of the day, it's priorities, right? But as far as the idea of keeping, maintaining status quo, here's the way I look at that. If you exercise every day, every day, every day, you get to some point and you stop exercising, you don't stay at that point. You slowly yeah. degrade. Right. So I don't, I believe you're either improving or you're degrading. Right. And I don't mean that to put pressure on people to say, oh, damn it, I haven't been riding. Now I got to go work uh, to, to maintain my level. That's where I believe this little noggin, your little brain, and these other little teeny right. things you can do collaterally, just because you're not on the bike, doesn't mean you can't become a better rider by the way that we approach it mentally, the way the other little things we can work on with coordination, fitness. So everything that I, I try to look at it this way, if I can do a little bit of easy things, just little things here and there to improve the overall support that I get on the motorcycle, I win. And right. I didn't, I, and that thing did not, you know, get off the kickstand and that's okay. Right. So right. That's the exciting thing. Well, awesome, Quinn. I really appreciate your time. I look forward to uh, your series of articles, sharing that with our readers. Uh, folks, I definitely invite you to go to YouTube slash Writer Magazine, uh, youtube.com slash Writer Magazine. Check out a couple of Quinn's videos on there. Go to policemotortraining.com to check out some of Quinn's training. He works with people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, also, as an instructor for Total Control, they've got uh, a variety of different training programs uh, throughout the country, throughout the year. So check out those. And um, also uh, Lee Parks' book, Total Control, is a good entry point to the Total Control approach to training. So, and again, We'll uh, look forward to the September issue of Rider. We'll have the uh, first uh, installment of uh, Motor School with Quinn Redeker. So thank you very much, Quinn. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, man. It was great talking with you. Awesome. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe. Leave us a positive rating and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.